0: Hey, if you have a Bible this morning, we're going to go to John chapter 20. If not, they'll throw it up on the screens so you can follow along. John chapter 20. I'm going to start in verse 1. I want to preach to you today from this title of I don't understand. I don't understand. I've been having a hard time getting away from uh, the story of the resurrection. I know we're only a couple weeks out from Easter, but we're supposed to move on, right? You're not supposed to really talk about it all year long, but I'm having a hard time moving on. So I'm still John 20 verse 1 says this early the first day of the week while it was still dark Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. She came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple. The other disciple is the author of this book. His name is John and uh, John is ad-libbing a little bit in these first few verses. John says she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved and said, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they have put him. So Peter and the other disciples started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple, the author of the book, outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen laying there As well as a cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus's head, the cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple, the author of this book, who reached the tomb first—it's like I got to remind you—I'm faster. Okay? He might have went into the tomb first, but I got there first. He also went inside. Watch this. The Bible says here says he saw and believed. But in parentheses, look what verse nine says says they still did not understand from the scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. It's believe, but it's not understood. There's a story in the Bible, in the New Testament. A man brings his child to Jesus and says, I need a miracle. Jesus says, if you believe, all things are possible. And he says, man, I believe. Help my unbelief. Have you ever been in a place in your life where you believed, but you didn't understand? You know, suffering but still trusting, but not understanding. Going through difficulty and pain, believing in God but not understanding exactly what God was doing. I have good news for you today God does not want to leave you in your misunderstanding. He is not an author of confusion, but He is the God of peace. (laughs) He's not the author of chaos. He is the God of peace. And my prayer today is that the eyes of your understanding would be enlightened so that you can see the marvelous things that God is doing in your life and through your life. Father, in Jesus' name we pray. Thank you for your word. We honor your word. We believe today that you have something to say to us. So we're here. We're here. We need a word from you. And we believe you have a word for us. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said amen. Amen. I want to ask you, and you can respond to this if you want to, however you want to. Um, What would you do if uh, you woke up tomorrow and you opened up your bank app and uh, your balance had increased by $100 million? Like nobody would care, apparently. $100 million, it's not... (laughs) That's not a big deal to y'all. Okay, this is Vegas. I'm from Tennessee. Hundred million dollars is like a big deal. <laughs> so you're like, no, I lost that last night at the Bellagio. It's no big deal. Hundred million is a big deal to me. Okay, let's go a billion. Wow, a billion isn't a big deal. Wow, this economy here, it's special. <laughs> All right, so I'm just gonna go with a billion. Say, say you wake up tomorrow morning, you open your bank app, and there's a billion dollars in your bank account that you know you didn't put there but it's there so you see it you believe it but you don't understand why it's there there are some people in this room who would immediately go shopping (laughs) and I feel you but but for for the rest of us that have like a little bit of morals I mean come on like for the rest of us we're like I don't know why it's there you're like expecting a knock on the door and like the FBI is at your door and your whole life's about to fall apart Um, so, so the only thing you know to do is call the bank and be like, hey guys, um, there's a billion dollars in my account and I don't know why in the world it's there. Well, they're like, well, we were waiting for your call. We need you to come in. Can you come in first thing in the morning and we'll explain everything to you? So there's still a part of you that's like, wow, man, this is exciting. I believe this. This is pretty cool, but I don't understand this. So there's like a little bit of fear, trepidation. And so you're still wondering, okay, is this a setup? Are they getting me to the bank so they can arrest me? Like what am I, what have I gotten myself into? What did I do last night? How many, how many shots did I? No, I and you're 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 like, so so you get there and you get to the bank, you go to the teller, and you're like, hey, I'm Robbie Hilton. I'm here. There's a billion dollars in my account, and I don't have a clue why it's there. And she's like, oh man, listen to me. It's going to be okay. The bank president wants to see you. Take the elevator and go upstairs. He's, he's waiting for you. So you get in the elevator, you go upstairs. And the bank president's like, hey, come on in. Have I got a story to tell you? So you sit down and he looks at you and he's like, okay. So do you remember about five years ago, you were at the beach and you're like, how do you know I was at the beach, you weird person? <laughs> but you're listening and he's like, you were at the beach and, Beside of you, there was this young kid and, and this riptide came in and started to pull this kid out into the ocean. And you can you could realize you recognize that this kid was getting ready to drown. And so you swam out, you rescued this kid and you brought him back in and you gave him to this lady. And she asked what your name was and you told her your name was Robbie, but you didn't give her her your last name. Well, for the past five years, that family has been looking for you. And what you didn't realize when you rescued that child was you had rescued Bill Gates' son. <laughs> and uh, Bill Gates has been looking for you for five years. Finally, found you. Called me and was like, "Hey, I want to put a billion dollars in Robbie's bank account. I just want to shock him, and I just want to I just want to make him I just want to make his life a living hell for a couple hours, and then just." Uh, <laughs> But, but no, I, I, I want to bless him. And so all of a sudden, your attitude about that billion dollars in your account changes, right? Before, you look at your, your app and you're like, wow, that's there. I believe it. But now you're walking out of the bank with a completely different perspective. Now it's like, I don't just believe that it's in there. I know why it's in there. So now there's a confidence level about the money. Come on, that I didn't have before. And this is what God wants for you. I don't think he's just gonna deposit a billion dollars in your account, but what I'm trying to tell you is God wants you to not only know that he is alive, but understand why he is alive. Because it's not just being excited about Jesus rose from the dead, but it's, it's understanding why Jesus had to rise from the dead. Because the, know, the knowing of why makes the biggest difference in my life. So the Bible says here, it says they believed, but they didn't understand. Well, the the Apostle Paul writes in Romans 4:25, he says, "Let me give you a little bit of a why as to why Jesus rose from the dead." Verse 25 of Romans four says, "He was delivered over to death for our sins, and he was raised to life for our justification." To be justified just simply means to be made right with God." Okay? So, so here is the picture. These disciples who were following Jesus. They were familiar, these were Jewish people who were familiar with sacrifice, with animals being sacrificed for sin, but they had never seen one of those animals get up. They had never seen them go through what they went through for that sacrificial moment and then get back up after that moment. So they understand sacrifice for sin, but they don't understand resurrection for justification. Right. They had never seen this before. So this is new. This is something that God is going to have to reveal to them by his spirit. Why? Because faith shows me what I have. The spirit of God reveals to me why I have it. And John chapter one, verse twenty nine, John says something interesting about Jesus. When he walks by Jesus, he turns to his disciples and he says, hey, behold, the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. This is some insight and in revelation that not everybody had because Hebrews 10 and 4 says it was impossible that the blood of bulls and goats should take away sin. So when when the priests would offer sacrifices for sin, that sin could be forgiven, but that sin could not be taken away. Wow. Right? So, so they don't understand that their sin has been taken away. They understand a God who can forgive them for their past and a God who can forgive them for their present, but they don't understand a God who can justify them and make them right with God for the rest of eternity. So there is an understanding that has to come in their lives. And so let me give you just a couple of thoughts this morning. First of all, let me remind you of this. Maybe you know this, maybe you don't, but God did not send Jesus into the earth to die for us and to raise from the dead so that he could love us. The Bible says in John chapter 3, verse 16, it says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. So God sent Jesus because he loves us. Oh man, that's good news today. So if you're lost today, can I tell you God loves you? He doesn't hate you, he loves you. And the reason he sent his son is because he loves you. He loves you. But on top of that, God did not just send his son Jesus into the earth to forgive us. Because in the Old Testament, sin was being forgiven every year. And in the New Testament, Jesus, before he dies on the cross, forgave many people their sins. And the Bible says in Mark chapter 2, it says that there was a paralyzed man. They dropped him down through the ceiling. And before Jesus healed the man, the Bible says that he looked at him and he said, son, your sins are forgiven. And the people in the room are like, who is this man that he can forgive sins? In Luke chapter 7, this woman comes into a room where Jesus is teaching and she's crying and, and weeping and she's, her tears are falling on his feet and she's drying those tears with her hair. And the people in the room are like, man, this is a filthy woman. How is he allowing her to do this to him? And Jesus, knowing what they're thinking about, looks at her and says, daughter, your sins are forgiven. Wow. And they're just like, who is this guy who can forgive sins? You see, throughout the New Testament, as Jesus is ministering, he forgives sins. One time he tells this person, he says, hey... Go and sin no more. Another time he tells one man who he forgives. He says, go and sin no more. He says, unless something worse happens to you. Why is is Jesus able to forgive sins? Well, because he's God. He can forgive. But justification requires resurrection. Justification is what John talks about in 1 John chapter 2. John says in 1 John chapter 2, he says, I write all these things to you so that you do not sin, but if you do sin, you have an advocate with the Father. Jesus, before the cross, is saying, do not sin. John says, hey, if you do sin, I don't want you to, but if you do, because I know y'all are crazy, just like me, if you do sin, there's an advocate with the Father. See, Jesus wasn't able to declare advocacy He was just able to forgive in the moment, but he couldn't forgive the future. That's why he said, go and sin no more. John now, after Jesus has been resurrected, is like, I don't want you to sin, but if you do sin, nothing worse is gonna happen to you, why? Because you have an advocate with the Father, even Christ Jesus. Is there anybody in the room thankful for the resurrection? I'm not just happy that the grave is empty. I'm happy that he sits at the right hand of the Father forever living to make intercession. And this perspective, this this point of reference makes the difference for how I see everything in scripture. It changes how I view every verse I read, every story in the Old Testament, every prophetic word, every letter, every principle changes in view of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It means when I read the book of Job, I don't have to look at Job's story as a warning that God would ever let down the hedge and allow the devil to attack my life. Because the resurrection changed it. Because when you read the book of Job, what you first have to recognize is, okay, here in this story is Satan in heaven having a conversation with God directly accusing Job of a lack of faithfulness and only being faithful because of the things that he has, his blessings. And so the Bible says that God removes the hedge and allows the devil to attack Job's life. So the resurrection, though, makes it so that even if the devil, first of all, he's not walking around in heaven. The accuser of the brethren has been hurled down, the Bible says. And now if he were to have a conversation with God, he'd have to go through my advocate. He doesn't just get to go up to God and accuse me. He has to talk to Jesus first. And Jesus, the advocate, steps in and says, whatever you're trying to test him with, I already passed the test for him. (laughs) Ah, so it reveals to me, I I won't ever go through a Job season where God removes the hedge. I don't know what the hedge was for Joseph or, or for Job, but I know what the hedge is for me and you. The hedge is Jesus and Jesus isn't leaving his throne anytime soon. I feel like somebody needs to put their hands together and thank God that there are no Job seasons. Do I suffer? Yes, but not because the hedge has been removed, not because God has allowed open season on my life. I have an advocate. That's why the resurrection is so important. They, never, they, didn't, they didn't know this type of relationship with God. The advocate is not in heaven trying to plead with God not to burn us up. The advocate is in heaven saying, hey, God, I know he did this, but instead of giving him that, give him what I deserve. Yeah, yeah. Everything that belongs to the son belongs to us. So my my expectation of what God wants to do in my life and what God wants to give me is whatever belongs to Jesus. And God's not giving Jesus cancer. And God's not giving Jesus, you know, this, this, he's not going to send a tornado to take out Jesus's house so that he figures out, you know, he needs to be faithful to God. God isn't wrecking Jesus's finances so that he'll give to the church. I am in Christ, so anything God is going to do to me, it's what he would do to his own son that is resurrected and seated at the right hand of the Father. Wow. So go and sin no more. Changes. I don't want you to sin, but if you do, There's an advocate. There's one story about a woman who gets thrown in front of Jesus. She's caught in her sin. It's it's interesting that she's caught in the act, but the only person that they bring to Jesus is the woman. Because if she was caught in the act... There's somebody else in the act. But they don't bring the man. And so the Bible says in this story that they they brought this woman in front of Jesus to test Jesus to see if he would fail when it came to his interpretation of the law. It's like we're going to test the author of the law (laughs) on what he wrote. So the Bible says they bring her in front of Jesus and Jesus bends down into the ground. The context of this story is that Jesus has been teaching in the temple. Some translations say he was in the temple. He wasn't like outside of the temple, but he was like actually literally in the temple. Or even at the least, he's in the courtyards of the temple. Now the temple that that we're talking about is, is not physically really there there's there's a little bit of the structure left but the portions that they have dug out of the ground are are stone the floor in the temple was not sand so the bible when it says jesus bends down and he writes into the ground it doesn't say sand it uses the word ground because the understanding there is that the temple floor is stone and so you have a picture of jesus taking his finger bending over into the ground And engraving in the stone. What is this? Where do I see this before? Oh, this is in the book of Exodus. The first time the law is given. And the Bible says that from tablets of stone, God took his own finger and he wrote into those tablets of stone. So he bends over. He writes in the ground. Stands back up. And he's like, hey, he that is without sin cast the first stone. He's like, you forgot about that part, didn't you? Yeah, that's cool. I'm the author. I know it. I, I even know the fine print parts, you know. I wrote it, you know. So he leaves him with that, and then he bends back down again. Why did he bend back down again? Because the commandments had to be given twice. Because the first time they were given, Moses comes from the mountain. He sees the people breaking the first one. How about that? It's like, we don't even get to four or five. We don't even get to thou shalt not kill and steal. Like we can't even keep the first one. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. There's the story of a man who comes to Jesus. He's rich and he comes to Jesus. He says, I want to follow you. And Jesus is like, go sell all you have and give it away. He's like, but I've been keeping all the commandments since I was a youth. All of them. Jesus is like, bro, you can't even keep the first one. Your money is a God that is before me. So he has the right them again he delivers them to Moses again and he bends down again and when he bends down again the Bible says it doesn't tell us what Jesus wrote why it doesn't tell us what Jesus wrote because what he wrote is not important it's what he's doing you imagine seeing Jesus his finger engraving into the stone the law the commands of God and he writes the first five and then he stands up and then he writes out again, the next five. And the Bible says from the oldest to the youngest, they started to drop their stones and walk away. Why? Because the oldest had a better recollection. They were closer to the story. And as they recognize what Jesus is actually doing, they're like, we're dealing with the writer of the law. We have nothing to say, nothing to offer. We need to just leave the situation. And the Bible says that when they leave, she stands up and Jesus asks her, hey woman, where are your accusers? she says, they're gone. Well, I don't accuse you either. And I don't condemn you. Go and sin no more. Look at that. That was the end. And why, why was it? Jesus had to say, go and sin no more. And he didn't say, oh, your sins are forgiven for all of eternity. Oh, you know, in a few, few weeks or months, when I die on that cross, you don't have to accept me. You've already been forgiven. Why was Jesus' ministry a go and sin no more? Because that was all he was capable of doing until the resurrection. The resurrection changed everything. What, what's so powerful, though, is not even really the justification What's so powerful about the resurrection is Jesus told his disciples, the reason I'm going is because someone actually is coming after me. And I have to go so that he can come. I have been with you, but he will be in you. All through the New Testament, you see Jesus teaching and the disciples don't understand what he's saying. He's. And in, in, in the Bible, he's, he's given all these different parables. He's, in Mark chapter 4, he's given this parable of the sowing of seed. And he says, you know, you sow seed into some ground and the birds come along and they steal it. You sow seed into other ground and, and the, the elements, the sun and the wind come and blow it away. And sun heats it up and burns it out. You sow seed into some ground and the, the thorns come and the thorns choke it out. And after he's done teaching, his disciples come over to him and they're like, hey, man, um, that was really great. That was powerful. But can you help us understand that? Because nothing you said made sense (laughs) to us. And this is kind of the picture of Jesus's ministry with them. He's teaching. He's delivering parables. As a matter of fact, he says to him one time, he's like, I'd love to talk to you about heavenly things. But the problem is you can't even get Parables. So what happens at the end of Jesus's ministry? The Bible says that he begins to open up the scriptures to them as he's getting ready to leave. And then he tells them, hey, I'm leaving. The Holy Spirit is going to come. And when he gets here, he's going to remind you of everything I said to you. And he's also going to reveal to you the things that are to come. I love this because you might not understand. You might only believe, but the Spirit will give you the understanding. See, this is why we need to understand the resurrection, because the resurrection gives us access to the Spirit. The resurrection doesn't just give us access to forgiveness. The resurrection just doesn't give us access to justification. The resurrection of Jesus now gives us access to the Holy Spirit of God. Remember, faith in Jesus reveals what I have. The Spirit gives me the understanding as to why I have it. (laughs) I need the spirit to understand what I'm reading and what I'm hearing and what God is saying. This is important for us. So the Bible says this, 1 Corinthians 2 and 12. It says, now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. It's like you have all of these things that are available to you, but you don't even understand what they are, how to use them until You have a relationship with the Holy Spirit. Jesus said in John 16 and 3, he says, the Spirit of God, he's going to guide you into all truth. Whatever he hears, he will speak and he will declare to you the things that are to come. So the Holy Spirit doesn't just reveal what God means in scripture. The Holy Spirit also reveals to us the word of God, not just the words of God. It brings understanding to the word of God, whether that's a prophetic word or that's something that you believe God is speaking to you personally. And the first time we see the activity of the Holy Spirit, we see it in Genesis. In the beginning, when God is creating, the Bible says God created the heavens and the earth. How did he do it? He spoke. He said, let there be light. He would speak and he would say, this is what the light is going to do. This is how the light is going to work. This is how the earth is going to work. This is how animals are going to work. This is how trees are going to work. And he would speak it into existence. And so you see God, the father, you see the word, the son, and you see the Holy spirit. The Bible says about the Holy spirit that he was hovering over the waters. That word hovering is actually a word that looks like this more like, more like brooding, like a chicken sits on eggs so that the egg gets warm and it pops open and the chicken comes out and it brings that chicken to life. In other words, the chicken is there, but it needs the brooding to come to life. So, so the word is there, but it needs the brooding to come to life. The word is in you, but it needs the spirit to come alive in you. God has deposited something in you, but you need the spirit of God to animate it, to bring it to life. So you need a relationship with the spirit because order comes out of the chaos of your life because of the spirit. Life comes out of death in your life because of the spirit. The same spirit, the Bible says, that raised Christ from the dead is living on the inside of you. I don't have to spend the rest of my life not understanding. I can understand. I can understand. Let me talk to you about relationship with the spirit. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 14, the apostle writes, May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you. Fellowship with the Holy Spirit. I get it. I get it. It's difficult in our minds to wrap our thoughts around a relationship with a spirit. It sounds kooky, like if your kid came up to you and you're like, hey, I want you to meet my imaginary friend, Bob. You're like, okay, we're going to have a lot, of, a lot of counseling sessions with this one. <laughs> you know what I mean? It just sounds strange, and it's, it's very difficult, and a lot of people stop at Jesus rose from the dead. He's alive. I'm forgiven. I'm saved. And they don't advance into relationship with the Spirit. And so they miss out on revelation because God wants more for you than just information, just knowing who he is. But he wants to know why you exist. He wants you to know why you are here, why you're here for this moment, for this time. Why you are the age you are. Why you are, why you are the color you are. Why you are the height you are. Why you live where you live. Why you think how you think. Why you operate the way you operate. You don't have to live in that confusion because the spirit brings the understanding. So I want a relationship with the Spirit. How can I have a deeper relationship with the Spirit of God? Let me tell you something. It doesn't have to be spooky. You don't have to sit in your room and be like, hey, Spirit. Hey, bud. What are we doing today? (laughs) It's so weird, isn't it? Because it's like, how do I have a relationship with a Spirit? Let me give you just a few practical thoughts here. Acts chapter 4, verse 31 says, After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God. Acts chapter 2, they gathered together in the upper room. Close to 200 of them are in this upper room. The Holy Spirit is poured out. They come out of that room speaking in tongues. They are preaching and declaring the goodness of God. As you see the Holy Spirit poured out in the book of Acts, what you see is that very often the activity of the Spirit is connected to the gathering of believers. So you're like, Rob, I don't feel very spiritual. Oh, but you are way more spiritual than you think you are because you're here in church today. This is a gathering that the Holy Spirit comes and is a part of. See, what you felt in worship was not emotionalism. What you felt in worship was the activity of the Spirit. When you came in with that spirit of heaviness, he gives you a garment of praise. When you come in and your head is down, the Holy Spirit is the lifter of my... Come on, when you come in and you don't know what to do in your life and all of a sudden you're in worship and God gives a word to you, that's the Holy Spirit clarifying your situation. When your pastor preaches on a Sunday morning and you're like, oh my gosh, that's he's talking about everything that I'm going through. That's that's Holy Spirit activity. You're in an active relationship with the Holy Spirit. You're like, Bobby, I am not very spiritual. You are more spiritual than you think you are. In the house of God is where the Spirit makes himself known. So even if you're struggling on your own to have a relationship with the Holy Spirit, you get more comfortable in that relationship by coming to the house of God. Every opportunity you get and it's in the gathering that you begin to make sense of his activity in your life. Psalm 73 and 16, David said this, the psalmist said, he said, man, I was really struggling with what, how to understand what I was going through. He was like, I I was just so, I, I didn't get it. I didn't get why my enemies seemed like they were winning. I didn't get why it seemed like the enemy had the upper hand in my life. He said, and I didn't understand it. And it was a hard thing to understand. He said, it seemed to me like a wearisome task. He said, until I went to the house of God, He said, I was confused. I was lacking understanding. I didn't have clarity. I was so, my life was chaos, but then I showed up in God's house. And when I showed up in God's house, some things in my life started to make sense. God began to reveal himself to me. The spirit started speaking to me. And he he said, then I discerned what God was doing. He said, I was confused until I went to the house of God. John 14 and 26, Jesus teaching about the Holy Spirit. Jesus says, the Holy Spirit, whom my father will send, he will teach you all things and remind you of everything I have said to you. So if I'm gonna have the activity of the Holy Spirit in my life, I need to be be in the gathering, but I also need to approach my relationship with the Holy Spirit as a student because the Holy Spirit is a teacher. Every teacher will tell you their favorite students are the ones who want to learn. The ones who draw out the best in the teacher are the ones who show up as the student. You don't get the best from the teacher if you don't show up as a student. You realize that your expectation actually does something in the atmosphere. For even a preacher like myself, your expectation draws out of me things that I didn't even know I was going to say that morning. But there is something that you need. So you come in and you're like, I need a word from God. And God said, I hear you. I'm going to give you a word from God. Even if the whole message isn't for you, maybe some line, maybe some word, because it just takes one word for everything in my life to change. And so if I'll come in and expect God to teach me something instead of coming in, oh, he's, he's, in that, he's still in that series. Okay. He's, talk, he's talking about relationships again. Oh, he's talking about generosity again. I've heard it all. And if you come in and you're not teachable, no wonder there's no Holy Spirit activity in your life because the Holy Spirit is a teacher. And God wants you to move from information to revelation. So what God does when he teaches you He doesn't just put you in the classroom. He he takes you out of the classroom and he sets you down in real life. I think it's strange that Christians expect to never be tested on the information they receive. I heard someone say years ago, we've in America, especially, we are educated well beyond the level of our obedience. You don't need another word. You need to obey the last word you heard. So, in Mark chapter 4, Jesus has been teaching all day. And he's like, this is again, this is where he's teaching the parable of the seed in the ground. And one of the issues with the seed is that the elements, the wind, the sun, can impact the seed's ability to get into the ground. And so Jesus is like, hey, I've been teaching you on the side of the lake all day. Let's go get in the lake. This is what God does. He brings you to church on a Sunday. He's like, hey, let me show you some things. But then as you walk out of these doors, I'm going to test it. And it's like God talks to you about patience, and then immediately you get in that parking lot. so he says hey we've been, we've been talking by the lake all day now let's get in it let's get in it Oof. And then a storm comes up the wind is blowing and the elements are affecting the word that God gave them when Jesus said hey let's go to the other side that word didn't get into their spirit because the wind was able to blow it away. And watch what they say to them. Say to Jesus, teacher, don't you, don't you care about us? Teacher, don't you care? Jesus wakes up, calms the storm. He rebukes their faith. And they look at each other and they go, who is this? Why? Because in order for you to know some things about God, God has to put you in some situations So he can reveal a part of him that you've never seen before. That's why when he came walking on the water, they freaked out and they thought he was a ghost at first because they had never seen him like that. And some of the things that God is doing in your life, you're scared and you're out out of your mind and you're tripping right now. It's just God saying, I'm trying to show you something about me that you've never seen before. And it's going to look like a ghost, unfamiliar at first. But as he gets closer it's going to start making more sense. Let me give you these really quick. Got just a couple of minutes left. I want to give you five ways to kind of practically start to understand the Bible a little bit better. First way, everything in context. Anybody know Philippians 4.13? I can do all things through Christ's name. Years ago, I was, I was, I was growing up Man, the '80s and early '90s were a weird time in church culture, and uh, we used to have this this group come by. They were the Power Team, and anybody remember Power Team? They were just like these jacked up Christian guys, and they would do these feats of strength. They would like chop through bricks, and they would like rip phone books in half. And then at some point in the whole night, somebody would get up and they would be like, I could do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And then it would break something. I'm like, wow, this is amazing, but it's out of context. Right. So us, we're little kids. We're running out in the parking lot. We're trying to pick up the back end of our cars like I can do all things through Christ, like breaking our arms and pulling muscles. And It's like maybe God didn't mean that. How many people have hurt themselves misapplying the Bible to a situation? See, Philippians 4.13, Paul's not talking about feats of strength. He's not talking about going to the gym and lifting 300. He's talking about, hey, man, he says, I've I've been rich and I've been poor and I've learned how to be content in all of that. And I can do that because Christ strengthens me. (laughs) It's like, oh, okay, that's what he meant. Second thought, the finished work of Jesus. Anything that you think you know about God that you cannot find in the person of Jesus, it's not worth your time. Hebrews 1, 1 through 3 says, In the past God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom all the universe was made. Jesus is the final word of God. You want to know about God? Look at Jesus. Do you want to know what God talks like, acts like, how God treats people? Look at Jesus. You want to properly interpret Scripture? Jesus. Third thought, purpose of the Scripture. Take the book of Galatians, for example. Galatians is written to Gentile believers because the Jewish believers were trying to enforce the law on Gentile believers. Paul had to step in because they were trying to force circumcision on these grown men. And they're like, bro, I'm 43 years old. That ship has sailed. I'm not, I'm not doing, it. I love Jesus, but not like that. <laughs> so Paul was like, no, we don't have to do that. But he also write the book of Hebrews. He wouldn't put down the Jewish customs and traditions. He would just tell them, "Hey, none of that's going to save you. I don't care if you want to eat a Passover meal or you want to eat certain foods or you think pork is bad. That's fine. I don't care. You can follow the diet plan of the Bible. You can follow all of that. But none of that is going to save you. And if you're not careful, you'll be a Gentile trying to throw the book of Hebrews, trying to throw out all of the customs and ceremonies saying that, nah, you just you shouldn't do that. When there are people who are love God and just want to do it, they're not doing it as a means of salvation. Or you'll or you'll be more traditional and you'll throw you'll throw the customs at people and be like, yeah, if you really love God, you would. So you gotta put it into context. There's there's a difference between laws and letters, promises and principles. There's a difference between proverbs and prophecy. Difference between gifts, gifts and fruit. Gifts are given, fruit is developed. Number four, don't listen to just anyone. I appreciate all the pastors out there, all the podcasts, and they're all wonderful, and I'm so thankful. But, but God puts you in a local church for a reason and gives you a pastor for a reason. And it's not just that, that those teachers out there on YouTube, you know, we've, we had a lot of YouTube prophets during the election and all this. It's not just that those guys may be false. It's also that they could be speaking a word that's out of season for you. See, God puts a pastor in your life to lead you through the seasons of your life. But you could be listening to a word and it's not bad. It's just not in season for you. And so you're frustrated because you're not operating in your season. Because your YouTube pastor isn't your pastor. Your YouTube pastor, by the way, isn't going to show up at the hospital. Your YouTube pastor isn't going to come pray for you when you're sick. Your YouTube pastor is not on his knees in his office pleading the blood of Jesus over your family. Just heads up. Number five, obey what you understand. Why? Because obedience opens up more revelation. In Jeremiah chapter 18, God says to Jeremiah, he says, I want you to go down to the potter's house and there I will give you my message. Think about that, it's like, I need you to obey me. And go to the potter's house. And when you obey what I told you to do, where I told you to go, then I'll give you another message. And there's so many people like, I need a new message. And it's like, no, nah, man, you don't need a new one. You got one. You need to get to the potter's house. For some of you, it's like, I, I need a new message. God's like, no, no, you don't need a new one. You need to get, you need, you need to get back into the house. Online is a supplement, but online does not, is not the gathering of the saints. You need to, and and then I'll open up. Obey what you understand. So Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you. We thank you that your word is alive, it's powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword devised between bone and marrow, soul and spirit. It's alive help us to understand your word your words help us by the power of the spirit not to live in just a state of I believe he's alive but help us to move to an understanding of why we have what we have in Jesus name we pray and everybody said amen